Like <laughs> there's a, there's this joke that that Stanford admission and um, admissions will like redact certain pieces of information. So it'll be like this student is this this this, and they display blank redacted. Um, and it's just like a black box that gets covered across the word. And my entire admissions file was two pages of like straight black. Hey, college kids, welcome back to my podcast, Who Cares About College? In today's episode, I'll be interviewing Princess. So Princess, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Princess Wong Chan. I am a sophomore at Stanford University, currently studying computer science, although I'm interested in a couple of other majors. Um, I go by they them pronouns. I'm a Southeast Asian gender activist who is from Stockton, California, and I rep my city super hard. Okay, so we have to start at the very, very beginning, which is how education was kind of viewed in your family, in your community. So what did you grow up? What expectations were kind of put on you in terms of high school and then going into college? Mm -hmm. Um, So like I mentioned, I'm Southeast Asian and my family specifically are refugees who came to the U.S. um, Mm -hmm. like in the in the 70s and 80s. And so neither of my parents have received even like a high school education. I think, I think the highest that my mom went to was her freshman year um, before like going to refugee camp, but coming like growing up, education was always really emphasized in my family. Um, I'm the youngest of four siblings and I am not the first in my family to go to college, but my, my youngest sister who was the third is. Um, and so there are two of us. And I think like her just being like a, a huge role model um, for 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 my family for like really pushing the boundaries of like what we know and what we are comfortable with um, was like, was a really big deal. Um, and so, I what was the, what was the other question to that? Um, it was kind of like how did I guess we can go into like how did that impact you going into high school? Like how did you approach it? Were you always striving for really good grades? And then also another thing, were you necessarily looking for prestige in the college or university you went to, or were you just glad to like attend and have an education and then maybe pursue higher, like, you know, postgraduate or PhD later? Mm. So to be honest, I was kind of just like following in my sister's footsteps. <laughs> um, it, it, that's pretty much like what we all did. I think that to some extent, like we were really going with the flow um, and I didn't even really like understand the importance of higher education. I didn't understand like what college was and all of this until um, until a few years after she had graduated herself. Um, so like when I when I really, really started thinking about it was my sophomore slash junior year. But that being said, like I I didn't strive for like um, I didn't my my end goal wasn't like higher education, you know, like I didn't I didn't go through middle school and go through high school thinking like oh, I want to do really well so that I can get into a good college. Um, I just like tried to perform well. And that led me to other programs like in the International Baccalaureate program, which I did in high school. Um, and then we, I've been involved in, I've been in, involved in community service and local government since a pretty young age. Um, and there is this local nonprofit like scholarship organization that's based in Stockton called Stockton Scholars. And they were a huge support throughout the entire college application process. Um, and I have, and, and some of the people who work there are like my closest mentors, people who have like really 
really like helped me develop and understand my identity. Um, and and now that I am in college and have gone through the entire process, there are still like strong figures in my life who who helped me like really reevaluate my relationships um, and have always just been there along the way. And so I I think that although things weren't entirely intentional, they did fall into place. Um, and yeah, yeah, like I said, I wasn't looking for any sort of prestige. I actually didn't know anything about Stanford until I applied. Um, I decided to do Questbridge College Prep Scholars, which is a program that you apply to in your junior year. And I was fortunate to get in. Um, and, you know, there it goes. I, I, I did Questbridge CPS. Um, and then I matriculated into the National Merit Scholars Program, which is the one for seniors. And then I matched to Stanford in Questbridge Early Action. Okay, so let's go back to, let's go to first year, like high school that you did go to. So Mm -hmm. you did say that your sister was definitely a role model. So you were following in her footsteps. So like, obviously, you know, you look up to her, like, what am I supposed to do? You know, terms of grades, how am I supposed to organize everything? But in terms of your actual high school, can you describe how competitive they were? Were they, you know, did they offer a lot of APs and you did say you were in the IB program so did they offer you that and then you know some high schools who are really competitive they'll uh, they'll allow their students to have like essay writers so they'll make their students write like common app essays and they have teachers review they'll have like guidance counselors and they'll have sessions with them so was your high school kind of like that I guess you could say like holding your hand did they kind of hold your hand and help you through and understand the process as well or was it you're kind of left to your own and then had your sister help you yeah, to be honest, none of that. It was not like that at all. <laughs> um, in my in Stockton, I believe that almost ninety percent of our community qualifies for free or reduced lunch. So we are a majority working class, low income community. Um, a lot of us are, like I said, like we come from refugee families or from the war diaspora or people who are who have like migrated from different countries. And in my school, in particular. Um, so I, I did do the IB program and I would say that our district, my, my own, the school that I went to was the only one in the district that offered IB. Um, and there were four high schools. And so typically you have to pay for like IB tuition, depending on where you're from. Right. But in Stockton, it was completely free. And so it was a program that was like offered as a resource. Um, and I graduated as like a full diploma recipient. So we didn't have, we didn't have like college prep courses. We did have a, a dual enrollment program with our local community college, which I know a lot of people were enrolled in and were able to get um, a bit of like a step ahead, you, you know, go into college with a couple of credits already under their belt, but I didn't do dual enrollment. Um, and, and to be honest, like my, I didn't, the, the biggest support for me in the college application process wasn't necessarily my sister. I think that growing up, I, I was always a, a high achiever, but I struggled a lot to ask for help. Um, and so a lot of times I would just like sit at my computer and I would Google something and I, I would Google like a program or something that I was interested in. And I remember like being 15 and like starting to like really go down these like Wikipedia rabbit holes, you know, you know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was like a total bookworm. So it was, it, yeah, it, it was, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of, it was a lot of just reflecting on, on who I was and, reflecting on the environment that I was in and and how that made me powerful in some ways and my community powerful in other, in, in some ways. Um, And I was also a part of this like scholarship, this scholarship association 
that is located in the Bay Area. Um, and so being a part of that was was super awesome too. There are a lot of different moving parts to it. Yeah, so I want to talk the- about that scholarship program like as kind of like the exciting stuff. I want to get rid of like the GPA, you know, like the boring grades and stats that we need. So can you did say you went through IB and you did do the diploma. So for people who are listening and don't necessarily know what the IB program is, can you do like a quick like run through of it and then tell us what your result was in the end? Yeah, sure. So the IB program stands for International Baccalaureate Program, and it is the it is essentially like the global curriculum that is created for people um, to carry out in a lot of different countries. I know that in places like France, for example, which is like one of the origin countries of the IB program, you have to have an IB diploma in order to go to college. Um, mm. And in, and so in the U.S., like oftentimes people will be involved in like gate programs, you know, which like place you into like um, like STEM magnet programs, or you do the college boards AP programs, or or even IB. Um, and the way that IB is different from AP is that it is more skills-based. Um, so we don't do a lot of multiple choice exams. We, in fact, our IB exams that we take at the end of our senior year are literally like we sit down and rewrite essays for six hours. Um, <laughs> and I, I know that it's, I think it's changed, but in my year, it was like that. Um, and there are a lot of different components to it. Like you have your external examinations and then you have your internal examinations. So they do sort of like a holistic review on how you perform in class, in group settings, in essay writing. Um, but it is all focused on on critical thinking and honestly, like getting the best out of what you are presented with rather than, for example, like studying and, and like knowing certain information really well. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in the end, can you describe also like the fact that you get a diploma at the end, which is, I think, universal for all IB programs? Mm-hmm. So, yes, if you graduate, if you receive above a certain score mark on your IB exams, then you can receive your IB diploma. And that means that you were, it's, you know, it's like eligible, eligible for other higher education, um, institutes of higher education in other countries. And so I graduated with my IB diploma. Um I didn't do extremely well, to be honest, but I passed and I was just happy about that. Like, <laughs> it, it felt good to pass. Um, and at the high school that I went to, spe- to specifically, it was only like 25% IB, I believe, and the other 75% were general education. And so we had we had same teachers in some classes from general education as and, and different teachers in other classes. Um, mm-hmm. And that was pretty much it. So I have my high school diploma and my IB diploma. That's interesting. So for IB diploma, if you obviously colleges see it, like, you know, they see how many APs you took and such. They also see the IB diploma. Does it give you any sort of boost that you have the IB diploma? Like, does it do anything in your favor? Or is it the same as like taking a bunch of AP classes and doing well on the test? You know, I actually don't know in terms of the college admissions process. I would definitely say that like being involved in a in an academic program like IB or AP does make the difference between um, does make the difference in comparison to just doing like a general education. But in terms of college admissions, I think the entire thing is holistic. So it really is dependent on where you're from, um, on the rest of your grades, like the activities that you're involved in um, and things like that. Yeah. And also GPA wise, can you tell us what your unweighted and weighted GPA was and also give the scale because every school, you know, some schools do like 
some some schools just do like out of 100% and such. So can you give the scale for those as well? Mm -hmm. So um, I don't want to share my exact exact GPA, like the numbers, because I honestly think that statistics aren't as big of a deal in the college admission process as people make it out to be. Um, But I will say that I was valedictorian in a class of 500 seniors. So yeah, that's what it was. That was really good. That put you... I mean, valedictorian is the top. Okay. And the last like statistic grades kind of thing is SAT and ACT. So which one did you take? I did both. um, And I submitted my ACT scores, I believe. So what preparations did you have for taking, you know, both the SAT and ACT? And then why did you choose to take both? So I didn't prepare at all for any of my standardized tests. Um, I had a very hard time finding any prep courses in Stockton. Any that we had were, were too expensive that that my that myself and my family couldn't afford. Um, and with the scholarship association that I was involved in, it's specifically called the Buck Scholars Association. Um, and like I said, it's located in the Bay Area. They provide you with a high school scholarship that you can spend as a high schooler up until like the end of your sophomore year in college. Um, and I honestly, like, I, I found, like, better ways, or I, I thought that I found better ways to spend that money. Um, and so I didn't do any standardized test prep. But I did decide to take the ACT because I thought it aligned more with the content that we learned in IB. It is more mm-hmm. skills-based, you know. Um, and it is more fast-paced rather than the SAT. And admittedly, I, I did both, but I didn't know anything about, like, American history. The multiple-choice exam style was, like, not it for me. Um, and I ended up doing better on the ACT, and that's why I submitted those scores. Okay, can you tell us, if you don't mind sharing, what your, at least, super score ACT sc- that you submitted to the schools? Um, I won't share that either. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just think that Okay, so so when you come to Stanford, something that I was like really excited to do is to look at my admissions file because you can you can go and request from the school your admissions file to see all the mm-hmm. notes your admissions officer had written on them, um, see like specific information, how the school like views you necessarily. Um, it sometimes it's a good thing, other times it's a bad thing. I know people who have had like positive and negative experiences with it, but considering that we had no test prep in Stockton um, and that I imagine that very few people in my city actually prepare for standardized tests. Like I remember looking at my admissions file and my admissions officer wrote that my score was good given context. So, (laughs) so yeah, there there it is. Yeah, that is true. Like I, you know, for different people and Okay, I'm not going to include this part in the podcast, but can I ask, are you, do you identify with like first generation low income? Yeah, I am both first gen and low income. And I think that is, I think that's a really important thing. Yeah, I know because I know first gen low income students is really not fair for them at all because standardized tests is not about knowledge. It's about like knowing how to take the test. So like when I figured out that, you know, schools do it based on what you had available to you, I thought that was much, much better. It's just a comment there, you know, because I, I will admit I'm not rich, but I do come from the suburbs. I go to a nice high school, so I have the materials. And I was always thinking like, okay, I have it. I know I can succeed, but how do people who are just as smart or smarter than me, how are they supposed to compete at these schools if they're not given anything to com- like help them through? So I thought that was really good of colleges to know 
your background and such so exactly and standardized testing is is inherently like racist and in classes you know just in the structure of it and exactly like you're saying like the way that it all works Mm -hmm. um and I've, I've been proud recently of, of institutions of higher education who have decided to like waive your standardized test scores so mm-hmm. that you don't have to submit them when you apply. I think that that is pretty exciting and, and, and promising for like the future of, of education for everybody, hopefully. Because yeah. standardized tests, I mean, it provides a benchmark for something, but it's really just so it doesn't test anything. Exactly. It's ridiculous. And there are like, and there are people who will just spend, spend like their entire lives, you know, like memorizing how to take an exam and they are amazing exam takers. And then they, they go to college and then they have to figure out how the real world is. Um, and we see that like, you know, like your, your ability to solve problems on a piece of paper are not the same ones as your ability to solve problems in the real world or to discuss like issues yeah. that, that, that go beyond American and colonial education. That's true. That's true. And I want to kind of talk about that when we get to the college portion, like how college differs from high school and such. And let's get through the high school and college application. So what I really want to talk about is this scholarship program that you were mentioning. So can you, again, provide a brief summary as to what it is? Yes. um, I listed three up until this point. Is there a specific one you want to talk about first? Oh, they were all different ones? Yeah, they're all different. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, all three of them. Sure. Okay, so the first one is called Stockton Scholars, um, and Stockton Scholars was launched by the Reinvent Stockton Foundation in 2018. We are a local scholarship organization, which it basically is the and the, the idea behind it is that anybody who graduates from our Stockton Unified School District and enrolls in a in a two year, four year, or vocational school um, automatically qualifies for up to eight thousand dollars in scholarship money. So. Every single year, you receive a $1,000 or $2,000 check, depending on what school you go to. Um, and it is basically to just like boost the number of people in, in Stockton who aim or who, who strive for higher education and to not only go to it, but get to get through it. Um, and in Stockton Scholars, when I was a senior and junior slash senior, it was like its first couple of years. Um, and they wanted to like very highly engage students um, and student leaders. And so I became a part of a, I became like a Stockton Scholars ambassador. Now I'm considered like a college ambassador. So we have both high school and college students who are ambassadors for the program. And we are just a community of people who support each other, support our peers, share resources. Um, They've given us the agency to like, to create and facilitate our own workshops and like share tips among each other. Um, And I think that having that environment of people who, who, um, have have like a sort of similar mission in mind you know or and who are honestly just trying to like get through the mud together and and really figure it out and and have found like their own unique ways to find out information I think is really cool um and then can you pause for a sec is this scholarship money they give to you each year that you're in a higher higher institution like of a university or a college yeah. So it's oh, okay. every year you have to renew your FAFSA and then just send your renewal papers to them and they send you a check. That's incredible. I mean, that's a really good technique. I mean, who doesn't want, you know, someone paying for their education for them? Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Especially since a lot of people um, are worried about like the price of higher education, you know, and mm-hmm. I think too often, too often when people are considering 
considering going to college or, or going to some sort of like school like that, it's like, it's always the, the dollar signs that really throw you off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it takes like more digging to like really understand like how your tuition is impacted by federal grants, by the schools, like financial aid. Um, and, and a lot of times like people don't have the time or don't have the resources to like really look beyond that first initial like dollar sign. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The price, they just kind of see it and they're like, no way. And then they just leave it behind. Yep. So the second scholarship program that you did? Yes. The second one was called the Buck Scholars Association. It's based in, um, there are, I think it tackles like six specific counties in Northern California. And we, every year there's a cohort of five or six people who get selected for the program. Um, And so I come from a cohort of five people, 2017 Buck Fellows. It's something that you apply for in your sophomore year. Um, and you essentially, you get connected to this network of people who are from the Bay area who have gone to education and who are actively like trying to change the world. I have this mentor who I feel very, very close to, and she is one of my most like trusted confidants. Um, honestly, even more than some people that I've like grown up with, just because I think that like, we really understand each other. Um, and so, so thanks to the BSA, I've been able to meet incredible people and, and really have, it's just opened up a lot of doors for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I think getting into the program my sophomore year also boosted my confidence and, and like reaffirm that I could do things like go to college, that I, that I could like do things like apply for more scholarship programs, you know, and really make it through is because I have this group of people who are here to support me no matter how far away they are or, 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 no, ma- or no matter like how long it is between the amount of times that we communicate, you know? And for this Buck Scholars Program, so do they connect you with people who, I mean, who have been to higher education and do they kind of mentor you through the process and help you understand it? Because it is incredibly complex and, you know, very complicated, the college process. So do they like help you and like answer your questions for you? Yep. So when you become, when you become a Buck Fellow, Buck Fellow, you are automatically paired with a mentor. Sometimes mm-hmm. with two. Um, but anyway, you have like a mentor and this mentor can just become your person for like anything. Um, it's, it is kind of like Stockton Scholars where we can create and facilitate, facilitate workshops with each other. So I've led a couple of workshops at our like bus scholars retreats where I'm talking to younger students. Um, and even now, like I'm not old enough to be a mentor, but I do like frequently communicate with people who are younger than me and who are currently like in high school and, and going through the college application process. So overall, it's just a very supportive community. Well, that's incredible. The strides your community makes for higher education are amazing. Yeah. Education's everything. Education work is like justice work all in all. Yeah. I saw it in your thing when, we're, when we were past exchanging email. Yeah. Education work is justice work. Okay. And how about the third scholarship program? The third one is Questbridge. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Questbridge is a big one. Again, I don't, I interviewed someone, she goes to Northwestern now and she was also a Questbridge applicant and she explained a lot of it to me. And I understand the process is pretty complex. So can you, again, kind of give the gist of it or the summary of it? What is QuestBridge? You know, who qualifies and how does the process exactly work? Because it's not just, you know, your first generation low income, you automatically mm-hmm. count into the program. You do have to go through like a series of steps. Yes, exactly. So it, there is an application for QuestBridge. Um QuestBridge, like you said, is it mainly targets people who are first generation and or low income, which means that if you um, qualify under like a certain um, finance bracket or I don't I, I think like 
to to categorize like the fly identity is pretty complex just because like it's different like everywhere literally um but basically if you're fly then you can apply for Questbridge there are two Questbridge programs there's one that you do in your junior year called the college prep scholars and they provide you with information resources network um reminders here and there about like when you should get things done um and you also have the opportunity to go to different college admissions fairs um mm-hmm. i know that at the end of my junior year after getting accepted into cps um they had three different admissions fairs across the entire country so there was one that was at stanford there was one that was somewhere in texas and then there was one that was at somewhere in the northeast um i don't remember the exact schools but like Questbridge will will give you money to fly you out to go to this college admissions program to look at this campus. Um, you can through Questbridge you can also qualify for other scholarships like a Quest for Excellence award. Um, and basically, what that is is that you have financial aid to attend any sort of summer program. If you need to buy a laptop, they will give you a scholarship to buy a laptop. If you wanna, if you want to look for exactly what we were talking about earlier, standardized test prep. Um, everything like that. And so when you, if you get into Questbridge in your junior year, meaning like if you, if you do well in the application and then you go through this entire process, then you also have a high chance of matriculating into Questbridge for your senior year, which is the second program. And that one's called the national college match. Um, And with the national college match, there's also an application process. You don't have to have gotten into the first one in order to get into the second one. You just have a higher chance of getting into the second one if you did do the first one. Yeah. And as I understand it, you like select the schools in order that you like. Right. And then they just send it out to each school at a time and then you get an acceptance or rejection. and They just go down the list. Exactly. Exactly. So you can do like a rank sort of match thing. And with Questbridge, it's sort of it's not Questbridge isn't like the scholarship organization itself. So they give you like money here and there to, to do things like we were talking about just now, but they don't pay for like your college tuition. If you get matched to a school through Questbridge, it's basically like an agreement between that school and Questbridge and you that says that you have a full ride. So for four years, they're going to cover every single like cent on your tuition, on your award letter. Um, I mean, sorry, on your on your what's it called? Your financial aid letter. Hmm. Oh, and then they cover everything. Yes, they cover everything. Oh, my God, that's. That's an incredible opportunity. And I, again, I said... Just to everybody. <laughs> yeah, everybody just do Questbridge if you qualify. So again, I was saying, I did interview this one girl. She goes to Northwestern now and she was also a Questbridge applicant and she's also from California. And she was saying how when you have... Colleges know whether you're a Questbridge applicant, obviously. So when they see it, it's like on your application. She said it's not like obviously, oh no, this student is a Questbridge student. We have to let them in. But she said it does kind of give you an advantage because you were, she's, I think this is exactly her words, like you were good enough for Questbridge. So that gives you kind of like a leg up. It kind of shows the college, okay, if they were able to make you through the rounds of Questbridge, they, we know they're a competitive applicant. So did you know that coming in? Or maybe is that not true? Um, I did. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would agree with that. It does give you a leg up. I think it it sort of just says that like you are somebody who um, is very invested in pursuing a higher education because the application process happens earlier. 
Um, and, and it says that you are somebody who actively seeks out resources, someone who um, is trying to have like a very hands-on experience with their educational experience or their, their academic career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that, I think that that's really important for a lot of colleges to know that you're someone who takes initiative, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with this quest bridge, you did mention a couple of things. So there's the junior year application. And if you qualify junior year, you are, you do have access to like certain stuff. And you did say there was some sort of like excellence award. And then they do give you money to fly out to, you said it was Stanford, Texas, and some Northeastern state. So did you take advantage of those opportunities? Like, is that the first interaction you actually had with Stanford when they did that sort of flying out and admissions kind of tour? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it is actually. Um, I got in. I got into CPS, and then I qualified for a Quest for Excellence award in STEM, um, mm-hmm. which means that they offered they offered me a stipend to attend a summer program, like pay for the summer program. But that didn't come until like later on in the process. So I attended a summer program in my at the end of my junior year, summer before my senior year, and rather than have Questbridge pay for the program because it was free, they 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 supported me in travel costs, mm. um, which means that I could take a flight there. And the college, the conference that I went to was actually at Stanford, um, and that wasn't my first time on Stanford campus, but that was my first time like being at Stanford campus like for a reason. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I, I only live like 90 minutes away, so it was no big deal. I remember at the time, this is like getting into the details, but, but at the time they used to like separate what college you would go to for the, for the, for the outreach events, um, depending on like what you were interested in. And obviously at Stanford, like it's a STEM thing. And I was, Mm -hmm. I had interest in STEM at a young age. And so they sent me to Stanford to go look at STEM colleges. That's interesting. And did you like fall in love with Stanford or was it more of like you did more research into it and then realized, oh, you know, I'll give this school a shot? Yeah, it was honestly, I think like going into it, I was like, I was going to apply to anywhere. Like I'm going to apply to so many places and see where I get in. Um, You know how when you're making like your list for college applications, it's good to have like a reach range and then safety school kind Mm -hmm. of down. Um, I like, I had considered Stanford a reach school and so I was like, Questbridge is cool because there are some schools that are binding, which means that if you get into Questbridge through the MASH, you have to go to them. But there are also schools that are non-binding. And I knew that Stanford was a non-binding school. So I could apply through Questbridge, get in and not have to come here. Like I could choose wherever I wanted to go. Um, and to me, that was a really compelling idea. So Stanford wasn't number one on my list for Questbridge, but it was my number two. And I ended up getting in. Um, and I think like, doing that in early action made me feel a lot better about the college application process. Like I had a, I had a good understanding of where I really fell, you know, like in, in the national like applicant list. Um, Mm -hmm. And it helped me, it helped me reduce the number of schools that I applied to and, um, and like narrow down my interests. I mean, this quest bridge thing is amazing. Like, again, I know that a lot of people don't know about it, but like for the people who do and qualify, I definitely recommend Quest. Which I mean, from what you've told me and what I've learned from my other interview, it sounds like an amazing, amazing program. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of other options too. Sometimes QuestBridge isn't like the best for somebody, depending on what school you want to go to or what you want to study, um, but it is an available resource. Okay, so let's move on to the exciting stuff. So extracurriculars, you did mention in the very beginning that you were really involved with 
community service and then you are involved in government now and you said you you did have an interest before coming to Stanford in government. So can you explain the kind of extracurriculars you did and if they were kind of centered around any sort of specific subject or area? Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, so I I think like my, my very first time getting really involved or at least like personally involved in, in community service was when I was um, 12 years old. And, and ever since then, like it, you know, <laughs> it, it just, just kicked off. And so um, ever since I was that young, like we, we've always, it's always been the same group of people. Um, we used to have this thing called the reinvent South Stockton coalition. Um, and this is something that still exists in Stockton, but it, but there are like very many branches to it. Um, there's actually this person named Michael Tubbs. He's the former mayor of Stockton and he attended Stanford. Um, and before he even graduated, he was like, I'm going to change my city. And so, and so as, as a senior at Stanford, he came back to Stockton and started a bunch of initiatives. And that's when I first got to meet him. Um, like growing up, it wasn't any particular significance to me that he went to Stanford. Um, you know, like I said, cause I just, I just didn't understand like what college was, but when I got here, it kind of feels like everything fell in place. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I feel like I'm meant to be at Stanford. I will admit that I like I don't exactly before coming in, I didn't know what I wanted to study. Um, I had a lot of troubles around thinking of like what my how my extracurriculars related to things that I was academically interested in and things that I am like professionally interested in, you know, because those are two different things. Like, like I can study, I can study one thing and be really, really excited about it, but I don't know if I want to pursue a career in it. And when coming in, I get you, I understand, you know, you you, you see so many things and you're like, I like that one, that one, that one. I like all of them. Exactly. And that's, what's so exciting about college though, because you can really choose what you want to do. Like seriously. Um, that's what I, I like most about it. I, I love learning. It's like super exciting for me. Um, but basically like what I was, what I was saying is like, it was all local government stuff, community organization or community development things. We would clean up parks every month. We had like youth leadership, youth engagement programs. Um, we worked very closely with things like the Stockton Trauma Recovery Center, just to really support families and what they were going through. Um, and so I had a lot of like experience in government and a lot of experience in like um, in like social justice advocacy. But I mean, I'm a computer science major now, and I and I thought that like those two things completely clash, but it turns out they don't. Um, and yeah, was this all under the Stockholm Coalition, like all um, community service? Essentially, um, and it's it was the Stockton Coalition. Stockton, um, Stockton. Okay. Yeah, Stockton. Um, essentially, it's like the same group of people. Mm-hmm, okay. And did you hold any, like for, you know, for college application purposes, did you hold any specific positions or were you just, or was it just like a bunch of people and there were, nobody was really like, I don't know what different positions are, like secretary, treasurer, or did, mm-hmm. or was it just kind of like a group of people or did you actually have like positions and responsibilities like each person has some someone would deal with like the finances and fundraising aspect of it and then other person would plan out the different events people would event people would attend and like you know go to so was it kind of structured like that 
I would say the youth engagement portion specifically was pretty unstructured. Um, so we had like a youth coalition where there were maybe four of us who came, um, but we were the same group of four people who like planned um, leadership camp at the YMCA. We were the same four people who like went to go buy knitting supplies for us to, to knit like beanies for the homeless, things like that. Um, and when I say that it was essentially the same group of people is like, I, I've heard people in Stockton before refer to them to refer to refer to a lot of people as like young change makers. And so I would say that like Stockton as a city and as a community is, is special because there are people in the city who are highly, highly dedicated to, to changing it for the better. And I would say that the majority of the city is like that. I think that everybody who comes from Stockton is an, is an advocate or an activist at heart simply because of, you know, the way that we grow up and in, in our family structures. Um, but this, this specific group of people were very, um, I would say like very monumental in making Stockton what it is today. And that includes Michael Tubbs, um, who is the former mayor. Um, and it, it includes people who have like moved on to statewide organization and, and advocacy work and have still come to Stockton to really reflect that work in their own community. And you said you had like your first interaction or experience when you were 12. Did you do this all the way up until like senior year specifically with your city? I did. And I'm still doing it today. Oh, wow. 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 That's, that's a lot of dedication. And you did mention a little bit of, I guess we could say government work. Mm-hmm. So can you go into the specifics of that? Like, what did you mean by that? Um, yeah, sure. Um, I, I interned for Michael Tubbs when he was running for, when he was running for local government. So um, at the time I was 15 and, and we were just like canvassing and stuff like that. And like talking to people about politics I think at the root, like everything is connected to to local government. Um, I think local government is like how we really get things changing, you know, and like getting the gears grinding and, and making change actually happen. Um, and so, yeah, that was it. Also, you kind of just, I guess people have, you know, members on their campaign team. So you were kind of just one of those members going around and like spreading the word. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And any other extracurriculars perhaps related to STEM that you did and put on your college application? I did Science Olympiad. Science Olympiad was my life. Oh my God. I loved Science Olympiad. <laughs> I dreaded Olympiads. Tell me, tell me about Olympiads that you did. I mean, how did you start? You know, what did you do? How did your school structure? And then I'm pretty sure Science Olympiad goes to the national level. So can you tell us how far you took it? Yeah. So Science Olympiad, I think my high school is the only high school in our district who had science Olympiad too, in addition to like the IB program. And I, but I, I do remember that there was another high school in our district who actually made it to nationals, like in the eighties, um, which is super cool. I wonder what happened to their team. I'm, I was always really curious about it. Um, but basically like we, we were a science Olympiad team and we you know how it goes like we all have our own specific events we would attend invitationals and then also um we went to state every single year we would we we medal at state sometimes but we've never like gone past state and norcal and socal are considered like the most competitive um science olympiad states so we're broken up into two and our science olympiad national winners are actually from sacramento which is an hour north of us um and we always compete with them Oh, so you guys did take it pretty far because you said it was quite competitive. So like getting to states in California 
is quite an accomplishment. Yeah, I would say so. I'm proud of our team. Science Olympiad, oh God. Every time I think of math and science, I'm like, was it hard? <laughs> like the stuff? I mean, Olympiad just always interests me because I'm I'm not going to like touch it. I'm not a STEM-me person, but like was this concepts really hard and just like... Dude, I was like in love with it. Like when I, when I say that I love Science Olympiad, I was super in love with it. That was uh, that was like the only STEM thing, I think. Mm-hmm in Stockton that was like the only exposure that that many of us like really had to things like that um and because of science olympiad like I I got really interested in specific topics and and here I am at Stanford I've taken classes and things that I first studied in science olympiad to really develop my knowledge on them um and so I don't know it was, it was pretty exciting you're genius science olympiad math olympiad all of that olympiad stuff is just amazing Oh, okay. look at you. you got a pack, you got a podcast going. You're a freaking genius. <laughs> okay. I guess I guess we both have our own accomplishments there. So I mean amazing science Olympia. Do you have any other like major extracurriculars that you also put on your application? Or was like Science Olympiad, government and community service like the main ones? Um, I did sports. I wasn't highly dedicated to my sports at all though. So those don't I put those was on the application. Was those like high school level sports? Yeah. And which sports, just out of curiosity, did you do? I did swim and water polo. What's water polo? Uh, water polo. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> because I know they don't have water polo on the East Coast. No. It's, like, it's like soccer in the water. Basically. That's interesting. Soccer in the water, that sounds so difficult. Oh my God. Okay, interesting there. And you say you weren't really highly dedicated to them, right? No. Okay, let's move on to like the actual college application. So number one is recommendation letters. Again, how did you approach it? Who did you get them from? And again, I will mention like growing up, since I do come, I do go to a competitive school. They like, they hold my hand basically throughout the whole process. They tell me this and that. And they also tell like recommendation letters. You should get them from teachers who you have like a really deep connection with. Like that's, it's kind of like a procedure they tell us you should make a connection with the teacher get recommendation letters from them so did you have like the kind of the same advice or was it more like luck on your part or like oh maybe I should get it from someone who really knows me yeah we we do get told the same advice like get oh, recommendations okay. from people who you trust people who you can like be vulnerable around people who know you well um I honestly don't remember I got one letter of rec, I think, that I used um, because I used QuestBridge and because I had gotten an early action to schools. My The number of schools that I applied to was actually pretty small in comparison to, like, what I originally planned. Um, and most of them didn't ask for letters of rec. I know that Stanford didn't ask for any letters of rec. They didn't even let us submit any. Um, mm-hmm. And so that wasn't something that I was concerned about. But, yes, I, I share the same information with, like, everybody else. Like, people that you can trust, people who know you well as more than just a student, you know, like, as a person, things that you care about. And another part of the application is, well, I know you applied through QuestBridge, but does QuestBridge make you write, in the Common App, it's called a personal statement. It's the really... I guess 650 words long. So did QuestBridge make you write the same kind of personal statement? Yes, we did. Okay. And then can you give us the general topic of what you wrote that personal statement about? Sure. Um, I So I, I wrote my personal statement about the color blue 
um, and about rockets because I was very interested in aerospace when I was younger <laughs> or like two years ago, I was very interested in aerospace. Um, and so I, I sort of just like broke it down into a rocket diagram and I was like, here's piece by piece and who's here, who's here I am piece by piece. That's an interesting concept. And how does the color blue tie into that? Was that I just, just, your, blue. just like the color blue. <laughs> I love the color blue. Yeah. I, I wrote about how it conveys like certain messages to me and, and certain symbols to me. Um, and, and including like everything about how everything around us is blue. Um, and I have always like just, just, just strive to like do things like go into outer space. And so. That's, yeah. inc- that's, that's, that's really creative. And in terms of the, you know, like reviewing your essay, making sure it's like structured nicely, you know, you convey the message. Did you have anybody to look over it and, you know, read over it, critique it? Did you share it with anybody to see if you could add anything or just lose anything or fix anything? Dude, this makes me think I'm like not the best person to be on this podcast. <laughs> um, like I said, when I was in high school, I had a very hard time asking for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I, I had a lot of trouble really figuring out who I was. Um, and, and taking advantage of the, I mean, not, not taking advantage of the resources that we had, but more like trusting people. And so at the end of the day, the only person who read my essays was my sister. And I specifically asked her to not change anything except for the grammar. Um, because I was, I was solid and like what I had written and I was solid and like where I wanted to go. So one person that I trusted. That's good. That's good. I mean, your essay sounds so cool. <laughs> Color blue and rocket science. It's amazing. Okay. And again, QuestBridge is different than Common App. So can you tell us again, how did you choose the schools that you did choose? And again, a little bit about how you hear back from QuestBridge and such. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it is different. Um, QuestBridge happens so QuestBridge happens a little earlier in the college admissions process, which means I think you have to apply like September and then you get your results um, early December. My year, it was like five days before the common app or the other like regular early action results came out. Um, and the process is essentially the same. Um, you fill out some short answers. You have a couple of questions that are like 50, 50 words each. My advice is to always like spread yourself out across as much as possible for an application because you want the admissions officer to understand who you are as a person um, and understand like all the different facets of your personality. So I, what I was saying earlier about how like QuestBridge isn't always the best option, but it is like a good option for people who are considering it. I really believe in that. And I strongly recommend QuestBridge because it just gives you more questions to really put on your application. I was dissatisfied with how much the common app actually asked. Like I, I was like, I, I don't feel like colleges are going to understand who I am from one 650 word essay and a couple of scores, you know, like I want them to know what my favorite book is. I want them to know what I do in my free time, everything else. And so I was like, let me write about myself as much as possible across as many essays as possible. Um, and, it, and it ended up working out. And can you... I have no idea if you're under some confidential agreement with QuestBridge, but can you tell us the different schools that you had in mind? And I mean, you did put Stanford as your second, so you didn't even have a chance to apply to the rest of them. But can you tell us what order that you what order you put your colleges and universities in? Yeah. So in my year, there were four non-binding colleges um, and I decided to rank three of them. The fourth one, I honestly just wasn't interested in. 
Um, so my, my rankings were at MIT, Stanford, Yale, and I did not get into MIT. I got into Stanford early action and then I got into Yale Lively Letter. Oh, so you can know what would happen to like other schools as well? Mm-hmm. Later on. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing. And I, okay, so you're going to Stanford. Let's get on to college experience. But one thing before that, you did say that you were able to see your admissions file, which is, I guess, you know, they give you a score and such. And I, I kind of understand how it works. You know, they give you a score on extracurriculars, like how strong they were. So on your admissions file, can you share what the admissions officer said about the different components? Like what was your strongest? What really stood out? Like kind of why do you think you got accepted? Yeah. Um, on my admissions file, the entire thing was redacted. Like <laughs> there's, a, there's this joke that that Stanford admission and um, admissions will like redact certain pieces of information. So it'll be like, this student is this, 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 and they display blank redacted. Um, and it's just like a black box that gets covered across the word. And my entire admissions file was two pages of like straight black. Um, I didn't see any comments written by my by my admissions officer. But I know that I know that you typically go through a couple of rounds. Like you will go through um, at most three or four rounds of admissions, and I only went through one round. So I had one reviewer, and then I had I was admitted. Why? Why yeah. do they block out certain stuff? I don't know. <laughs> I. I still question that. I really want to know what they put. Obviously, I'm going to go, you just black out the whole thing. was really weird. Actually, I walked in there and I was like, this is so anticlimactic. Like, I came here with a notebook and I don't have anything to write down. <laughs> you were the notebook and had nothing to write down. Oh. Now, that is odd, like, why they black out the stuff. I mean, if you got in the first admissions round, you must have been so amazing. They didn't even need to show you, you know, the different comments and such. That wraps up part one of my interview with Princess. Make sure to subscribe so you know when part two is released. Also, check out my blog, acollegekid.com, for more college-related content. But other than that, I hope to see you in Princess part two.